Welcome to the Biz Times MKE podcast. I'm Arthur Thomas, an associate editor at Biz Times Media. On this week's show, I'm joined by two of my colleagues at Biz Times, associate editor Lauren Anderson and reporter Alex Zink. Lauren and Alex have two great stories in the April 26th issue of Biz Times Milwaukee on the conversion of the Warner Grand Theater into the Bradley Symphony Center and the new home for the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. Lauren wrote the cover story focusing on how the MSO pulled together funding for the $139 million project, how plans to open the facility evolved because of COVID-19, and the impact of the project on the western side of Milwaukee's downtown. Alex dove into the details of the construction project, from a complicated land assembly process to moving a wall to to restoring historical details. I wanted to have them on to discuss their stories and the significance of this major local project for downtown. Lord and Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. So Lauren, let's start with you. Uh, what what stood out from your the most from your reporting process? I know you got a chance to actually go into um, the new Bradley Center, the new Bradley Symphony Center. What stood out from, uh, from getting to do that and, and just reporting on this project in general? Yeah, well, I had the opportunity, I've, I've been covering this story for, you know, the past three years since they first broke ground um, uh, to restore the Warner Grand. And I remember thinking when I went in three years ago, wow, this is, I, I can't believe this is here, you know, as, as someone who hasn't lived in Milwaukee my whole life, I, I, I guess I, I'd never been inside, I never knew this kind of gem was right in the middle of our city, um, sitting vacant. Um, and, but it, it was in pretty rough shape when I stepped foot in three years ago. Um, and, and so, you know, what, getting to actually tour it um, recently and the finished product, um, not only the restored, you know, 1930s theater, but also the new addition to the east of it. Um, it kind of just struck me that I, I can't believe this thing was here all along. Um, that it, it could have not gotten restored. It feels like uh, a, just a significant asset in the city um, that, uh, that obviously took a ton of work to restore, but uh, it, it's great that now people actually get to go inside this thing and, and notice all of the crazy ornate uh, you know, features and, and details um, and really like step into a part of our city's history that, um, you know, that showcases the the days of ornate movie theaters that are totally, you know, bygone days by now. Alex, how about you? What uh, what stood out as you were reporting on this construction process? Well, just the sheer complexity of it. I, I already knew that it was a complex project uh, even before getting into it because of the high profile wall move, of course. And as almost any adaptive reuse historic rehab project goes, there's going to be complications and complexity to it. But the, just the sheer level of it and the fact that even the, like the closest players in, in the project team, some of them just didn't think the project would be able to, to be pulled off kind of shows, I guess, again, the, the complexity of it and how many things had to come together in order for it to, uh, you know, come to fruition, as well as the, I guess, the the sheer willpower uh, that kind of dragged it across the finish line. And 
um, a lot of people were given credit for that, of course. Uh, but that's, I, I guess it's, it was quite a story from even just a pure construction perspective uh, to have this feat accomplished in the city of Milwaukee or anywhere really. Yeah, I mean, and this thing, it seems like was, you know, really a, a long time coming. I think you both have kind of this detail in your story, but Alex, you go into it a little more in depth about just kind of when they started envisioning this back in, you know, the early 2000s, you know, even testing to see if it would it work as a, as a symphony venue. Um, and then, okay, we're going to move forward with it and just assembling the land and getting all the pieces together to do it. Uh, that was a complex process in and of itself. Um, maybe you want to talk a little bit about, about that part of the story. Mm, of course. Uh, so I'll, uh, I'll just mention quickly. Yeah, it's, um, it's a not so secret thing anymore, but there was a secret concert held back in, uh, I think it was 2000, just to kind of, they, they removed the several front rows of seating to fit, um, you know, the symphony orchestra in there just to, I guess, test the feasibility of it working as a symphony hall to make sure the acoustics were, were right. And the testing came back late 20, excuse me, late 2001, found it to be suitable. But of course, it was approximately 14 years later before they, uh, I guess it was Kayla Slater was dusted, asked to dust off the old drawings, what they had done previously to kind of get to work on it. Uh, well, of course, even before you can start doing the building and construction, you have to acquire the site. And this is a lot of behind the scenes work that as a real estate reporter, I've really um, come to appreciate. It's something that you don't see from, you know, just the general public's eye, because, you know, why would you uh, see all these deals, these background deals being made to, to even make the project whole in a sense, you know, bring it under one ownership uh, in order to actually move forward with construction. Well, for site assemblage, I spoke with Bob Monnet and Steve Chernoff, who helped MSO assemble the site on behalf of, they, they did the work through WAM DC, which is Wisconsin Avenue Milwaukee Development Corporation. Uh, very specific thing that they do there at WAM DC. Uh, but when having explained to me, and I don't know if this is the way that they would describe this whole site assemblage, but to me, I draw three, I guess, four separate but important objectives they had there. There is getting the theater itself under one ownership control. Uh, a lot easier said than, said than done and a lot harder than you would expect. But then there's another building on the northwest corner of 2nd Wisconsin. They refer to that as the sushi building. There used to be a sushi restaurant there. It actually only took up a quarter of the building. The rest of it was vacant. But there's also the space behind the building to the north uh, included a public alley and parking lot portions of the par parking lot and that portion of the alley that had to be taken over so they could expand northward for some back of house operations. And then I guess you want to call it the fourth part of it would be actually taking over one half of second street. So obviously there's the wall move and they needed that space uh, to the east so they can, you know, actually expand the building enough to hold concerts and, you know, have it be more of like a modern uh, facility uh, meet the modern needs of MSO. So without getting into too much detail, the theater was a headache on its own. The ground itself was owned by three separate interests. 
and there were two lease, leases involved there that Marcus used to have or an entity Marcus used to, to have to show movies there and, and operate there. Um, I'll just read a quote and I put this in the story itself, uh, but it, it, it was Steve Chernoff summarizing the headache involved here. He said, and I'm quoting, there were two leases and a piece owned by Marcus, all leased pursuant to two separate leases to another Marcus entity. The lease was to expire in September 2021, so we had to make a deal to buy out the lease and acquire all the pieces. And he said it was a lot of fun, but of course, when he said that, Bob Monnet, who I interviewed at the same time, was laughing in the background because it certainly wasn't fun. Yeah, it seems we're lucky that this, <laughs> just the land assemblage alone, it seems we're lucky this thing this thing <laughs> came together um, at all. Yeah. And then, Lauren, the, um, the fundraising part of this, and that plays in the timing, you know, when they first were thinking about it back in 2001, we were, you know, A, somewhat of a recession, B, you know, um, coming off the, the art museum stuff. Um, but this is, you know, $139 million project is a big lift and they're still kind of just finishing up the, the pieces. So how did the, the fundraising for this come together for, um, for the MSO? Yeah, I mean, the, it, it was kind of a, a no-go. Uh, the appetite wasn't there for another big, um, you know, lift from the philanthropic community back in the early 2000s with Calatrava. That was a pretty ambitious project. Um, that, that was a, an expensive project um, and one that kind of grew in scope as it, as it went along. And so, um, yeah, the, the, the timing wasn't right back, um, back in the early 2000s. Um, obviously, they weathered the the uh, recession and had some even some other financial challenges of their own as MSO over the um, you know coming decades. But I think in recent years they've said that they've kind of reached um, a more sustainable path. That their you know their business business model is solid, um, and uh, you know so so they're on better financial ground now as an organization. Um, and meanwhile, I feel like this or it, it seems like this this project has been able to kind of inspire that same um, or similar levels of enthusiasm as the Calatrava when you just see something that's kind of beautiful and um, almost tr transcendent in some ways, if I, if I can say that, um, uh, and, and makes people think a little bit higher and, and envision bigger for our city. I think um, this is kind of one of those projects. Um, and so, I mean, the, you know, the Bradley family is to thank for, for a lot of this, uh, it, you know, different components of that family gave a combined $52 million for the project. So they're definitely, um, you know, the, the, the main, main givers here. And, you know, the, the concert hall itself is Allen Bradley Hall. So it bears their name and you kind of see, um, you know, tributes throughout the, throughout the facility to the family. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was another thing that kind of strikes you when you walk through the facility is almost, you know, every corner is named <laughs> because there are so many givers to this project. Um, I think at last check, there were 1,035 donors. Um, and so, you know, you just see uh, some some high profile names uh, all throughout the facility of, of things that they, um, uh, you know, donated to. So. Um, anyway, but yeah, they, they said that they're um, at last check, which was a couple of weeks ago, they say they're within striking distance of the $139 million goal. Um, and they expect to, to be able to wrap that up pretty soon here, um, which will free up the community to 
do its next heavy lift, which uh, is the Milwaukee Public Museum Project, which is also a rather large uh, undertaking. Yeah, the the big projects don't um, they don't stop. We there's a lot of. <laughs> You had a, a story a few years ago on, on our, our cultural assets um, and it keeps, it's a long, a, a long lift to, to invest in all the things that, that make a city a city. Right. Um, wanted to get both of your, your sense on, both your takes on this. One of the things it seems, there was a lot of attention to detail um, throughout the, the project, the restoration, the construction. Um, is there any one or two maybe details that, that stood out to both of you um, that were just like, wow, I wouldn't have thought that you'd go to that level of detail in thinking about, you know, pulling something like this off. I would never have thought of that. What stands out as some of the, the interesting details about, about this project? Well, I can take a stab at that first. Um, so I was fortunate enough to talk with Chris Ludwig, excuse me, from Kayla Slater, who had plenty of details to share with me uh, with the architectural aspects of the project, both old and new. He says every time he goes in there, he sees something new. And then, you know, he's actually got an eye for it. So just imagine what we could find that we would be impressed with as, you know, from a layperson perspective. But I think it, just hearing that, I was impressed with the... the intricate level, uh, the intricate attention to detail and the, the level of detail there is uh, in this project. It, it's, I haven't been in there yet and it makes me excited to want to go in there and actually see and try to spot these things. Um, I can just share a couple of things that he had mentioned. Uh, there is an old, I found this one interesting. There's an old no parking sign that was just painted, I think on the back wall that used to mm -hmm. like face the alleyway, but they, they actually kept that. And now it is backed by a new set of restrooms kind of behind like the newer part of the, the, the building now. Um, also part of the, the new building, there's um, just this tiny, these tiny gold type uh, lettering in the glass that has the names of uh, famous symphonic composers. And you can see it when the light hits just right. So it's that attention to detail, uh, I guess in part acknowledging the historic aspect of the Warner Grand Theater that they wanted to bring over to uh, the, the new construction side of the project as well. So you can find those fine details throughout. But I also talked with um, Eileen uh, Grogan from uh, Conrad Schmidt, the big uh, historic restoration expert, uh, one of many, I'm sure, on the, uh, on the project. And just hearing the lengths at which they, they went to restore some of this veneer wood paneling in the basement that had been partially ruined by flooding. It was just impressive the amount of work that they went in just to, you know, it definitely wasn't a spit shine. They had to uh, use some chemical agents to re remove some of the old layers that had just been destroyed uh, by the flooding. And then they went to intricate uh, detail to restore that paneling and the parts that they couldn't, they couldn't save. They had an artist come in and do like a full mock-up of what it had looked like. And she said the objective wasn't to make it like blending completely and look like, you know, it was the, the actual historic piece there, but it stands out in a kind of an interesting way that you can see kind of where the, like the new the replacement pieces are when you, when you look at it. Uh, but just hearing the amount and it was, I think she said zebra wood. So some type of exotic wood that they had to get from somewhere. And part of the, the problem in replacing some of it, it was that just not enough was available 
on to replace all the material. Uh, but to get down to that fine of detail and get the exact kind of wood that was used there, um, because they said originally uh, it was used for a very specific purpose or very specific reason by the original architects, just that, that level of detail. And that's just one part of thousands of different architectural features in this project that they went about restoring and making sure, you know, they did, they did the original uh, work justice. It was just, it was really impressive to hear that. And like so many other stories. Okay. It's worth noting. Oh yeah. I mean, it's worth noting that a lot of those decisions were also driven by, I mean, there's historic tax credits on the line. So every decision of balancing the old with the new and how to preserve as much as possible and integrate, you know, historically consistent um, elements, uh, you know, there's what $19 million in historic tax credits on the line there to, to make sure they got that right. So um, it's interesting to think about, but then I think the two things that stand out to me are just very much of a time of, you know, uh, pieces. One is they've got these two um, like original phone booths in the, uh, you know, uh, right off of the side of the stage um, that now they've transformed into listening stations where you can listen to MSO recordings and things like that. I just think those are super cool and those are fun to, to take a look at. The other thing is the murals in the concert hall look amazing. I mean, they, they look totally, uh, it, the colors are, are, are great and all of that, but it's just funny to think about um, them having to delicately clean all of those because they were covered in smoke um, <laughs> because of, you know, the bygone days of, of smoking in theaters. Smoking <laughs> so, indoors. Oh, yeah. what a great time uh, to be alive. You, you wouldn't know it when you look at them. So that's, that's funny to think about. Yeah. Uh, Want to kind of take a step back and look at kind of the bigger picture of this for um, West Town and in Milwaukee in general, kind of momentum along Wisconsin Avenue. Um, Lauren, I know you talked to some folks for the story. What did they have to tell you about kind of this as a more catalytic project um, for other development and other things? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've got you've got a lot of momentum happening on that side of town. Obviously, Pfizer Forum was perhaps the, the first of all these big projects so that you can't you know, uh, leave that out. But um, MSO's project certainly was um, a big factor in um, Grafe's decision to, to move across the street into the Avenue development, which is still um, is expected to open in a few, uh, I think pretty soon here, probably in the summer. Um, but they already moved into their headquarters, new headquarters on the third floor of the Avenue. John Kissinger, the CEO over at Grave, said, um, you know, it, it played a huge role in them saying, okay, this is a happening place. This is a good place to be. Um, and both Mark from MSO and, and John from Grave say they see the, the synergies there of you've got a bunch of employees there. They can walk across the street, go to a performance. Um, it's a it's a good way to attract some people who might not otherwise um, go to a, a performance. Um, so you've got that. Uh, Alex would probably speak more <laughs> informed than I could about all the uh, different developments happening. But you've got you know renovated um, office towers uh, right along that stretch there that are are bringing um, are looking to bring more employers to the area. Of course, Milwaukee Tool is the big story right now and. Um, we'll see if that comes to fruition, but if, if it does, could see a couple thousand more employees in downtown eventually, um, right on the south, well, that'd be the southwest end of the neighborhood. 
Um, so a lot happening. People are pretty excited about it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Mark from MSO said part of the design of that, the new addition to the east of the original theater um, that is like the, the lobby and um, reception area for the theater, um, you know, part of just making it all glass and um, really open was to say, communicate to the neighborhood, hey, you, you belong here, you can come in here, this is a place for you. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you're being optimistic, you can kind of see what that stretch could look like in, you know, once maybe COVID reservations and fears uh, quell a little bit over the, over the next year and, and people get out and go to restaurants and go to shows and, you know, get back to the office and all of that, you know, what that all could look like for, for Wisconsin Avenue. Yeah. Um, Alex, you covered real estate. And so obviously your story focused on the construction piece, but um, what have you been hearing from people about kind of the momentum in that area, um, both from this project and other things? Well, certainly the West Town area uh, in general is seeing uh, some momentum. I mean, it's still suffering from pretty high vacancies. You could say that's a product of the pandemic and everything, of course. Uh, but there's a lot to be excited about at the very least, even if the, the numbers aren't reflective of that yet. Um, Lauren had mentioned um, a lot of this already, but just along Wisconsin Avenue, and that used to be like the main street in, of course, the city, if not the state, like that was the place. Uh, you've got, you know, MSO's project that's, you know, wrapped up now. And then you've got the Avenue with Third Street Market Hall set to open up. I think it's maybe even next month or maybe a little bit after that. Um, a couple other office buildings, just, just right along that corridor, you've got uh, Hub 640. They've got a little bit of momentum going for them. They landed uh, North Shore Healthcare, moving from the suburbs to downtown. Uh, there's an extensive $30 million plus renovation of what's called 310W. That's the that's the, the big blue building uh, across the street from Hub 640, which by the way, Hub 640 used to be the old uh, Boston store headquarters, of course, or Bonton stores headquarters. Um, then of course, uh, the old Assurant building at uh, 510 uh, West Michigan Avenue, so, or streets, so just a little bit further away, Milwaukee Tool would be moving in there. Uh, a little bit further north, this is also West Town area. You've got, of course, the Deer District uh, with Pfizer Forum at the center. Uh, and then also, I guess even closer to what we're talking about here with uh, the Symphony Center, you've got uh, the expected expansion of the Wisconsin Center uh, convention space. Uh, that's going to be another big project. I guess that kind of fits in the cultural assets there as well, because you know, you've got people coming into the city to attend conventions there. And that's going to, you know, put them along the lines of their their peer cities to to better compete in the coming years. Of course, there's debate of what conventions are going to look like down the road. But, you know, they and others like I visit Milwaukee and just when I talk to hospitality industry experts, they they expect uh, that to return in the next couple of years with tourism, you know, or, you know, leisure tourism coming back even sooner than that as soon as this year. Anyway, and then, of course, um, the old uh, Journal Sentinel offices are being redeveloped. That's not too far away, just to the north either. I could, you know, keep going on and on, uh, but there's there's lots of momentum, lots of projects. Things are happening in West Town, and I think this is going to be kind of uh, one of the anchor projects that we're going to look back on in 
uh, hopefully look back on in 20 years and say, you know, you know, look at this revitalized uh, uh, West side of the river in downtown Milwaukee. This is like one of the projects they did it. And of course, I'm speaking about the MSL project. Certainly. Well, I think we'll leave it there as far as a discussion. People can check out both of your stories in the April 26th issue of BizTimes Milwaukee. Uh, insiders will be able to check those out on biztimes.com. If uh, you're interested in becoming an insider, you can find out more there as well. Um, and you know, both of your stories were great, um, but I should probably also mention we've got more than a dozen photos um, in this issue from Jake, Hall, uh, Jake Hill, um, who did just some great photography for us, capturing um, just the uh, the big, you know, the the amazing, incredible scale of uh, of this project, and also some of the you know really interesting details. Um, I think it, you know, his photos kind of show off some of the the colors that you were talking about, Lauren, on those murals and things like that. So people should look for that in the in the issue and online as well. So um, thank you both for taking the time to join me on the podcast here and. Uh, Hope folks enjoy the stories. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.